0: Welcome to Funding the Dream, a Game Whisperer podcast for Kickstarters. I'm Richard Bliss, the Game Whisperer, and this is episode 37 of Funding the Dream. Thank you for listening and thank you for being here. You know, uh, we've been thrilled with the success of Funding the Dream, particularly because right now Funding the Dream is being considered as a finalist for best use of social media in a game-related method on About.com's Reader Choice Awards for 2011. If you haven't voted, please do go to thegamewhisperer.com and... Find the Reader's Choice Award logo and click on it and vote for Funding the Dream as your favorite uh, social media for 2011. Your vote counts, so thank you very much for uh, for supporting us. In this episode of Funding the Dream, I have reached out to a professional who uh, by the name of John Skeen, who is a professional CPA in the state of Washington. John focuses on helping small businesses deal with money, and, and, and when it comes to Kickstarter, money is such a key... Th- issue that we have to deal with because sometimes you as a Kickstarter uh, owner aren't used to suddenly receiving large amounts of money, and what do you do with it? And before we go much farther, John, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, And for full disclosure, I better tell everybody, John is my brother. Um, Hopefully that doesn't diminish your standing as a professional CPA.
1: (laughs) Not up here. No. (laughs) (laughs) No.
0: No. So I've invited John on because I know many of my listeners, you guys are, are thinking about doing this Kickstarter campaign, but maybe you haven't thought about the financial implications of what that means. And so I've invited John onto the show to kind of talk about that a little bit. John, th- thanks for being here. You bet. Yep. So let's talk about that. Um, I'm, uh, I'm going to start a little game company. I'm going to put my game project on Kickstarter. So what's the first thing I need to do from a business standpoint that you recommend?
1: Um, You know, I meet with a lot of people right before they start businesses, and some of the things that I talk to them about, typically, first, I talk about entity choice. What does that mean? Businesses can be all types of entities. They can be sole proprietors. They can be partners. They can be uh, LLCs. They can be corporations. There's two different types of corporations. There's C-Corps and S-Corps. There's all these choices on what type of vehicle you want your business ran through. So when we talk about entity choice, um, typically I talk about two different elements. Uh, I talk about liability and I talk about taxation because um, obviously most of us want to pay the least amount of tax that we are legally obligated to pay <laughs> and most of us don't want to accept any more liability or risk than we have to. So um, you know, to kind of shorten that whole, oftentimes it's an hour-long conversation, so let me shorten it down to you know, the 30-second version. Um, the most flexible of the current entity choices that people have today is an LLC. It still provides you uh, a fair amount of uh, l- avoiding risk, a fair amount of female liability protection. Um, in, a diff- in addition to that, the IRS doesn't have a category called LLC. So they tell people starting an LLC, tell us how you would like to be taxed. So if you're a single owner and you have an LLC, you get to tell the IRS, I want to be a sole proprietor or I want to be a corporation, and then the IRS will tax you that way. So it gives, it gives your CPA and you or your accountant or tax guy and you the most amount of options in deciding how we want the IRS to view you. If I, so I, it's and just of, a quick
0: question. If I, yeah. if I choose to be an S-corp this year, a corporation, can I be a sole proprietor next
1: year? Um, you can now. There's a. There's a, It's a little bit of a hassle to go backwards that way, but that's part of the beauty of an LLC. An LLC is a state designation. It's not a federal. The IRS, like I said, doesn't have that category. So you can be registered, like in your case, you can be registered in California as an LLC. California gives you some tax ID number. You're, you know, you have all the compliance stuff related to the state of California, um, and the IRS is a total separate, you know, and a, a total separate set of rules, and so. Um, yes, you could you could be an LLC and choose to be taxed as an S Corp. this year. Um, you could decide, you know what, it's no longer in my best interest to be an S Corp. And there's a whole bunch of reasons why that may or may not be true. And the next year, you could elect out of being taxed as an S Corp. and be taxed as a sole proprietor. The beauty of that is, is that only changes things at the IRS. The state of California, you're still you're still that same original LLC you set up. You don't have to set up a whole new company and go through all that paper, paperwork again.
0: Oh, cool. Okay, so that's one of the first things that that uh, somebody who's going to put their game up on Kickstarter and wants to start a little company, what am I going to be? All right? So yep. now, and obviously you pay people like you a lot of money to go figure out what's the best way to do that. Yep. Okay, so then what do I got to figure out?
1: Um, once you've decided about your entity choice, um, of course, there's the process of Of setting that up, and like you said, you know, you can hire a professional to do that. Or there often there are lots of uh, uh, websites. Um, I'm sure California is the same as Washington, where do-it-yourselfers can do it themselves. Um, But the next piece that typically we talk about is record keeping. Lots of small business people go into business having very little idea of what they have to do to stay in compliance. So, you know, I have all kinds of clients and I could take, you know, my Joe, the plumber client, he did not start his own plumbing company because he was excited about accounting. He started it because he wanted to do plumbing. (laughs) So, um, you know, that's the next piece typically we talk about and I will talk people through, um, if you bring, if I always advise somebody to set up a separate checking account for their business, it makes it so much easier to track the money and if they need to, move money in and out of that account, that's fine for personal reasons, that's fine. Uh, But even so, keeping your business dollars separate from your personal dollars will make a world of difference. Now, if you have a business checking account, it makes it simple for your accountant. Any dollars going into that account were either contributions by you, the owner, or it was revenue. And it makes it very simple for us at the end of the month or at the end of the year to figure out how much revenue did you make. Similarly, if you keep a separate account, any dollars going out are either compensation to the owner or their expenses. And it's just that clear? It is. Now, some people, particularly when you're brand new in business, when you're brand new in business, you don't have a corporate credit card and you don't have a you know, line of credit and all this other stuff. And so often we are self-funding our small businesses. So we've set up this LLC. An LLC is a separate legal entity. So we want to keep its money separate, but it doesn't have enough money to pay the bills. And so it's really common for small business people, excuse me, really common for small business people to reach in their pocket and pull out their personal credit card. Um, and you know, when they're at office max and buying some paper and they're putting that expense on their personal card, that's perfectly okay. It just makes it a little trickier to keep track of those expenses and puts a little more responsibility on that small business owner to make sure that they've kept that receipt and, I have some clients literally who just stick those receipts in an envelope, and at the end of the year, they hand me the big envelope. Oh, my. But that's still better than them leaving money on the table by not getting to deduct real business expenses.
0: And so let's talk about that, real business expenses. And let's talk specifically from a board game standpoint. So I'm going to do this board game thing. thing. I'm doing some research. I go down to the board game store, and I buy games to add to my collection. and, 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 And that's research, right?
1: Yeah, I I don't think that you would have any trouble with that. Uh, The part where you'd want to be a little careful is, and and there's a simple solution for it, but you would want to, if you're going to buy board games and treat them as expenses to your board game company, you need to remember that those board games belong to the company. Now, that doesn't mean you can't use them personally, but if you ever had, um, and the likelihood of this is slim to none, but if you ever had an IRS agent knock on your door and say, show us, the assets of the company that you've, you know, that you've written off, uh, you would kind of want to be able to point to them versus your personal stuff. Now, I've been to your house. I know you have a lot of board games. The simple solution in my, um, in my mind, is as simple as you put a little orange sticker on the stuff that was purchased by the LLC versus the personal ones don't have these orange sticker, and then you could easily later point to the orange stickered ones and say those ones belong to the LLC.
0: Oh, well, cool.
1: Yeah, well, you know, the only time. Any expense that is ordinary and necessary for you to run your business or grow your business is deductible. Where you get in trouble, and it's one of my favorite sayings, which is pigs get fed and hogs get slaughtered, is it's perfectly reasonable for you to be doing a little research. Where it starts to get trickier is, okay, but now there's um, a specific uh, game. No, let me change how I say this. Let's say that you got on an airplane and flew to Hawaii and stayed for a week. Yeah, because there's um, a game convention there every year. Right now, if you were going there and attending the game convention, you're probably fine. That would be ordinary, and lots of people would view that as necessary. Right. Um, <laughs> where you might get in trouble is you go over there, you fly over there, and while you're there, you visit a couple game stores. Or uh, you not, visit a.
0: Okay, so I'll be clear. It wasn't a game convention. I was going to visit a couple game of games stores. Game
1: stores. Yeah, in that case, you're probably starting to tip to a line. It's, it's still you. It's still prob- it still might be okay, but it puts a higher responsibility on you to write down when you were there, how many hours of the day did you quote unquote work, which would be travel time back and forth to whatever locations you went to and the time you were there, um, and a specific business purpose that you were there. Um, so you'd want to you'd wanna keep a little log. Now, it's still doable, but it, it does raise the level of scrutiny.
0: Okay, and honestly, the word Hawaii is what raises the level of scrutiny.
1: Absolutely, yeah. because really, there's two areas, small businesses. There's two areas that you see get the most scrutiny from the IRS: uh, meals and entertainment, and travel. And that's because lots of people were convinced for years and years through the uh, multi-level marketing, you know, world that um, that hey, start a small business, you can write off all your personal expenses, and it and it doesn't really work that way. Okay,
0: and and. Actually, in this industry, a lot of people do travel, not to Hawaii. They travel to um, game, um, conventions game conventions in Indianapolis, in Indianapolis for Gen Con. Gen Con. Las Vegas has Gamma that's coming up for, uh, for the game industry. You've industry, got Origins. You've got origins. So, yeah, there are plenty, yeah, of, yeah, these there are plenty of these game sure. industries. Sure. Um,
1: and those would be perfectly reasonable to attend, and they would be perfectly reasonable to deduct.
0: Okay. Let me ask you another question. Um, I'm forming my company. I yeah, happen live company. I have to live in a I happen to live in a state it doesn't matter what state I live in, can I form my company in a state that I don't live in that is more tax? For example, Texas doesn't have the, the taxes, or maybe I want to incorporate in Nevada or uh, Delaware. Yeah. Can I do that? I just
1: You can, um, but it may or may not do you any good. It may or may not just be another uh, layer of hassle. So I just had a, a new client come to me, and he was all excited. He'd heard great things about me, and he was all excited to show me how smart he was that he'd done his homework, and he was either going to register his new corporation in Delaware or in Nevada. Uh, for those of us that are west of the Mississippi, Nevada seems to be the most popular choice. And when people are – you see these a lot in um, small business seminars. They'll talk, you know, and preach this whole Nevada corporation. Well, there's a couple reasons that really there's one, that they preach that, and that is is that um, Nevada does not have an income tax. And so uh, there's a, a, a thought in lots of people's mind that if my corporation or my LLC is registered in Nevada and it makes money, I don't have to pay taxes on it. And that may or may not be true. Both the IRS and most of the Department of Revenues or the um, Franchise Tax Boards or whatever your state calls it uh, have a, a, a word that they call nexus. And what they're, when they say, where's the nexus, what they're really asking is, on this business deal or on this business transaction or process, where did the majority of the business occur? And wherever the majority of that business occurred, they label it with nexus and they say, okay, you have to follow the tax laws of that location. So my the example I, I had here is, yeah, I have a gentleman here and um, kind of an inventor type and he's got some pretty cool ideas and he's got this Nevada corporation and but if he, um, if, if, if he starts to sell out of his Seattle location, the, f- the fact that, he's got a, that it's all being done under a Nevada entity does not change that Nexus exists in the state of Washington because the majority of the business is conducted in Washington, the majority of any one transaction. And so state of Washington is going to hold their hand out and say, pay me. So in that case, being in Nevada didn't do them any good. Because the work was done somewhere else. Yep. So yep. let's.
0: So now we're talking about Kickstarter. And I know you don't know all the answers to this, and you and I have had this conversation in the past, and it's intriguing. But now we have Kickstarter, a New York-based entity that yep. is a website that I can put an idea up and that people don't – I use the term donate money to me. Sure. And But that money is actually collected by Amazon, which is in Seattle. And then the money comes to me, but where did I do the work for this thing? Is it that I sat at my, where I sat at my computer and did it? And did, do I owe taxes on that money that got donated to me?
1: Wow. You know, you and I have talked about this and and it's such a Kickstarter is such a, a new idea when it comes to taxation, you know, typically we consider revenue, uh, You know, which is a taxable event, we consider revenue if we've either exchanged a product for that money or if we have provided a service for that money. Um, In the case of Kickstarter, you haven't really done either one of those things. So, um, and they're not, it it isn't that you've sold a piece of your company, it isn't that they've loaned you money, you know, there's no payback requirement. I can only assume that the IRS and the individual states are going to look at the cash collected as revenue. I can only assume that because every taxing agency I know wants to collect the most amount of tax they can. Um, but so I'm, but well, that's not defined.
0: And and one reason it's not defined, and you and I have had this talk, is that because um, there's a, such a thing as, what is it, R&D? Is that what, what we're talking about? Or what is it that... If somebody's giving me money for a board game that I have not manufactured or anything, but I need the money yeah. to build prototypes and to, uh, to get it out there, what, what category does that fall under?
1: Well, typically, if you think about prior to Kickstarter, and it's kind of revolutionary idea, if you think before that, and kind of say historically how this always worked, if you were uh, a game inventor and you needed money for production – where would you have gotten that money before A loan. you would have, yeah you would have either borrowed it or you would have found some angel investors right and so in those two cases it's very easy if you borrowed it it's a loan and so it's not revenue but you have a payback responsibility uh, if it's angel investors it's an investment um it's not revenue but there again is there's a there's a payback assumption that they're going to make back some money um or and or they're going to own some of your company um, like I said, Kickstarter really doesn't fit in the, either one of those models. It's not money that was loaned to you. It's not money that someone's invested because you're not expected to give them a rate of return. Um, they don't own any of your company. Uh, so it's, it doesn't really fit in either one of those categories either.
0: And, and, uh, and sometimes, if you, so for example, if you donate $100 to a campaign, in the board yeah. game space it's slightly different because generally you get for a donation of $100 you, or $50 or whatever, you get something.
1: Yeah. And in some of those times, it seems like from what I've seen, some of those times it's a mention, um, you know, in some credits. Some of the time it might be a, a baseball hat or some kind of, you know, or, or um, it might
0: be a copy of the game. Once we're done, hey, we'll send yeah. you thank you. We'll send you a copy of the game with your name on it.
1: Yeah. In which case, probably the argument could easily be made by the taxing authority now that you've sold something.
0: But okay, let's suppose in, in my case, I've got a well. I don't want to go too deep. We've only got a, a couple of minutes left here. You know, I've got a podcast that I'm doing a Kickstarter campaign as I'm not sending. Yeah,
1: yeah. I don't know. I mean, I I suppose if if in the case of if you give somebody some credit or a, a mention or something like that, um, they're basically they, paying,
0: they're buying advertising.
1: Yeah. Yep. In which case you have sold you have. Cr- collected advertising revenue. But in honestly, every one of your contributors kind of falls into a different position probably, or at least every level of contributor. Right. Some of them are just flat out giving you money. Some of them are giving you money and getting a game back. Some of them are giving you money and um getting a mention in the game's credits. Um it's kind of it's it's gonna kinda of be a case by case scenario. All
0: right. So that's but there are some rules. So let's first of all assume that it is taxable income for now.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, but talk to your accountant, and they're probably going to give the same answers you just gave, and that is, uh, you know, I'm not sure.
1: <laughs> right. And to be safe, you probably want to treat it as revenue.
0: And then the second one is uh, some of these game projects, particularly board games, um, are bigger than the normal Kickstarter camp. Kickstarter campaigns are often $5,000 or less, but okay. board game projects are often generally $10,000 or more.
1: Yeah, nice. So,
0: well, it is nice, uh, but there is a rule about that $10,000 limit, right?
1: Um, in the, uh, you mean like Homeland Security, those set, that, those meaning rules that if you
0: get $10,000, Kickstarter is reporting that to, uh, the IRS. So you need to as, make sh- sure that
1: you're, yeah, dec- as is your bank. Um, yeah. And, and when I say uh, Homeland Security, a lot of those, odd as it sounds, a lot of those rules, you know, date back to kind of September 11th and, um, they kind of sprang up after that to make sure that as larger pieces of money moved anywhere, that uh, our government, Big Brother, was aware of the fact that that money was moving and that it wasn't being moved for the wrong reasons. Okay. So, yes, that $10,000 rule does exist.
0: All right. And then we've only got a, a minute or two here left. What would So LLC, um, ta- thinking about the money and the taxable income, any last few things that uh, you tell your uh, these people who are kind of getting into this business thing?
1: Well, yes. Whether – what I'm, typically my parting shot is is whether you use me as your professional or someone else. Um, use a professional. People I know um, sometimes are intimidated by the cost. They're small businesses. They're trying to control their costs. Typically, a good accountant and in theory a good attorney, although I'm going to stick with good accountant for now, uh, saves you more money than they cost. Either buy reducing the money that you owe to your taxing agencies or by keeping you out of trouble and the costs associated with if you do get in trouble, you know, what, what does that run you? Um, I know that sounds like I'm, you know, um, uh, tooting my own horn on some level, right, and self-marketing, but t- truly it's, it's such an easy thing for small business people to think, I can do this on my own. And, you know, I make jokes about it, but uh, QuickBooks, which is a very good tool, and TurboTax, which are, again, a very good tool, but they make you a professional accountant the same way that Microsoft Word makes you a novelist. Um, it just doesn't work that way. They're a good tool for something very simple. They're fine. But if you need very much, if, if things are very technical at all, you're going to need more help than that.
0: I think that's a great, uh, a great parting, parting shot. Most of my listeners are not in the state of Washington, so they probably can't take advantage of your services. So I don't think there's a problem there about you tooting your own horn. John, and just also, this is tax season, so I appreciate you late at night taking the opportunity to sit down with me and talk to my listeners about, uh, about the taxes and, and implications of starting their Kickstarter campaign. Thank you very much. You are welcome. Glad to do it. You have been listening to Funding the Dream, a Game Whisperer podcast for Kickstarters. I'm Richard Bliss. My guest has been John Skeen, a CPA owner in the state of Washington, who's talked to us a little bit about taxes and the implications of starting up your own business as a Kickstarter uh, campaign. I want to uh, thank him for joining us tonight, and hopefully you've heard something that has been useful and helpful and inspired you to go out and fund your, uh, pursue your own dream that you can be funded. We look forward to seeing it out on Kickstarter. Thank you for listening. Take care.